I'm Alan Sepinwall. I'm the chief TV critic for Rolling Stone, which is a fancy way of saying that I watch TV for a living. But there are so many TV shows being made now that even I can't watch all the ones I want to. But what if you didn't have to binge an entire series? What if you just looked at the very first episode of a show you'd never seen, and then the very last? Would you feel like you'd gotten a complete experience, or would you be completely lost at the end? Well, there's only one way to find out. Welcome to a new episode of Too Long, Didn't Watch. As our guest today, we are very fortunate to have with us one of the hardest working men in show business. You may know him from, among many, many, many other things, Human Giant, NTSF, SDSUV, The League, or his current role on Showtime's Black Monday. He's also the host of the How Did This Get Made podcast and one of my current favorites, Unspooled. Paul Shear, thank you so much for joining us today. Alan, I am so excited to be here because you have created a podcast that answers my my question that I have all the time, I want to know everything about these shows, but there's some that just go by the wayside. They just go into the junk bin of my consciousness. I guess I'll never watch it. And I'm looking at you over Zoom right now. And behind you is a prime example of that. Veronica Mars, a show that I know is good. People say it's amazing, <laughs> but it seems like there's reboots, there's new series, there's movies. I can't get into that. It's too much. It's too much. For and me. that's we've actually been having ongoing debates if, if if someone winds up doing Veronica Mars, do we just show the UPN seasons? Do we show them the movie, the Hulu miniseries? It's very complicated. There is way too much. So let me ask you, because you've got all these other projects going on right now, mm-hmm. even in the middle of a quarantine. What are you watching? What do you have time to even look at? Alan, I've been watching a ton of stuff. I have kids, which means I've been watching a lot of Angry Birds, Angry Birds <laughs> 2, Ice Age, Ice Age Extinction. But when I get some time away from them, I've been kind of catching up on independent movies that I've always really wanted to check up I didn't have time for, like The Death of Dick Long and The Art of Self-Defense. Uh, I just have really been enjoying watching these movies that I heard so much about, even like a film like Blind Spotting. And then, yes, catching up a little bit on TV, but I'm also savoring TV. Like I'm savoring The Last Dance. I'm not watching two hours a week. I'm kind of watching one hour a week. Why am I racing through it? I have nothing to do. Uh, and the <laughs> same way for A Better Call Saul, one of my favorite shows on TV. And I'm almost letting that go out like one episode every two weeks because I just want to enjoy it. It's maybe one of the last produced shows we'll get for a long time. So I'm trying to enjoy my current television and look back on the past a little bit too. So what show are we going to watch today, Paul? Well, I'm very excited to watch Dexter with you. Dexter, part of the Showtime family, which I am now a part of, um, is a show that I've heard so much about. And I don't know if you're like this, but I am like this, where I can block out spoilers. Like when Game of Thrones was happening, I wasn't caught up. I could kind of just close my eyes a little bit like a horse with blinders and avoid them. I know there was a lot of hubbub when Dexter was ending. I don't remember a single thing about it. So it was not spoiled for me. It was a show that I just heard was great. And and I always felt like I wanted to see it. I love Michael C. Hall. I felt like this is a cool, dark, edgy uh, show that maybe has some comedy in it. I don't know anything about it. I literally, the only thing I know is that he is a, like a, a forensic expert who's also a serial killer. That's the only thing I know going into Dexter. But I'm very excited because people seem to have loved it because if it caused such an uproar at the finale, it means that people really, really love the show. I always feel like you can judge when certain shows go away. Like I loved Homeland, but I did not hear much about the Homeland finale at all. I feel like yeah. people just kind of checked out of that. So this this show kept people uh, engaged to the end. So I know it has to be good. All right. So here's what I can tell you before we start. Uh, Dexter ran for eight seasons from 2006 wow. to t- 2013. 
It was okay. at the time the biggest hit in Showtime history. Maybe it wow. still is. Do the, the people at Showtime like tell you what their biggest hit is? Do you talk to them about that kind they of thing? They bring me in once a week and we sit down with them and they show me all the numbers. We get into it. We look about what's working with kidding, what's not working with kidding. We really, we talk about billions. <laughs> no, I don't know. But I would imagine, you know, I think when you're talking about a show like this, 2006, it's a time where you could get a big audience. It's very rare now to get yeah. a show like this, like Game of Thrones, I get. But a show like this, to get that big of an audience, it does seem a little bit rare. I mean, to me at least. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a reason it ran eight years because it was it was just huge for them. And it kind of, it was almost Showtime Sopranos in a lot of ways. Uh, and in fact, it was Michael C. Hall, his first big role after Six Feet Under. It was part of that big post-Sopranos wave of anti-hero dramas that we got throughout the 2000s and 2010s. So, Paul, you excited? We're going to go back to Miami circa 2006 to see what all the fuss is about. You ready? I cannot. I'm legitimately excited because I feel like this is going to fill a gaping hole in my TV knowledge. So let's uh, let's roll the pilot. I cannot wait to see how you react to all of this. Soon, you'll be packed into a few. Oh, there we go. Now, Alan, I have to tell you, already this show seems more soapy than I thought. Small like the voiceover is intense world. and from him talking about a Cuban okay, sandwich leader. into talking about murder, <laughs> I'm a little bit like, okay, this ran for how many years? Like this is a, a little bizarre, place. but I'm into it. It's okay. just a little bit, it's a little bit soapier than I thought it was going to be. Fair enough. Okay. I think this is interesting. So he's picking up a white man. I think that's a good person to kill. Uh, across the board, like, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, right off the bat. Um, ooh, 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 I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like, what was he drilling into his cheek? Yes. Yeah. Do you do blood spatter? So? So? There's no blood here. Okay, Alan, this, yeah. I, I'm worried about this show, buddy, because okay. these performances are over the top. I mean, they're not small. Like, no, this is no, crazy. No. This is crazy. What am I watching? I mean, these two guys, these two like cops, everyone's like at a 10 plus. I don't know if it's the Miami heat. Were they afraid of like a hurricane coming? I am. But I'm engaged. The camera work is freaking me out. I feel like it's a first person show. It's like an in-game scene on a video game. Where I'm yeah. like, you gotta solve the murder, brother. And I'm like, <laughs> I've never seen such clean, dry, neat looking dead flesh. Ugh. Wonderful. Very clean. Am I Dexter? This body is not grossing me out. It's not, I don't feel totally grossed out by this body. Fair. There's a lot going on in this pilot, Alan. A lot. Uh, whew. All right. We'll talk about that in a bit. Wait, hold on. To the dead. Oh, no. We're going to never be good. Son, there are people out there who do really bad things. This. The Tell dad me. is the one who tells them? Oh, no. The police can't catch them all. All right, I like it. I'm, I'm liking the show. I'm just saying that. Do you understand what I'm oh, saying? Oh, boy. This scene feels Same. oddly sexual and sinister. I, like, this show has a very weird balance of that, I feel like. Well, he was turned on by the body in the pool, so. Yeah, but he was turned on by the blood, right? Like, he's turned on by the blood. blood. Yes. The lack of blood. So, like, he gets a blood boner? I mean, and I I don't mean to be (laughs) vulgar about it, but I'm trying to figure it out. Uh Uh-oh, what's this? That wasn't here. 
I suppose I should be upset. Even feel oh, boy. But I'm Wow. Not. Okay. I like no. this. I mean, In we've fact, just laid down about 90 kind of like threads to follow for this play. series. And yes, I want to play. I want to hit play I on the really next really episode. Do. I'm in. This show is campy as hell. Uh, I kind of like it. But do you, do you agree with it? It's campy. No, it's definitely campy um, to, to varying degrees. But this pilot, there's a lot that's sort of meant to be really arch. Before we do anything else, for the benefit of the people who did not just spend the last hour watching the Dexter pilot. 55 what, minutes. 55 minutes. What happened? Sum it up for us. Okay, so we meet uh, Dexter. Dexter is someone who has this impulse to kill. But he's doing it, I guess, in the right way. And I'm putting that in quotes by killing bad people. We find out that Dexter was adopted. His dad was a very uh, prominent police officer who taught him that if he did have these urges to take it out on the bad people. Now, that is the overall premise of the show. He he is a cop who is investigating crimes or no, he's a cop who's investigating blood splatter, but in his spare time solves crimes to kill the people who committed those crimes. That's one part of the show. The other part <laughs> of the show is that he's got this sister. She's also on the force. No one takes her seriously. She seems to me like she's a drug addict, but the performances here are all over the board. Uh, so she's trying to get ahead and he's kind of like, he's kind of puppeteering her to be a better police officer. He's also dating this woman as cover because he doesn't actually feel, he doesn't care about her, but he's dating her as cover. Um, and they have an interesting relationship. And meanwhile, he's also chasing this murderer or serial killer who's been killing hookers and chopping up their bodies in so many pieces, but getting no blood in them. So he's solving that mystery. Oh, yeah. And he also killed somebody who like I, I was going to say raped some young boys, but it seems like he raped and killed them or just killed them. I don't know. We're not privy to that. Um, and then we find out at the end of the show. Someone's on to him. Someone knows what he's doing and they're stalking him. Did I about cover it? Oh, oh. And there's one guy in the police office who hates him just and thinks he's a real weirdo. It seems very unmotivated. And there's another person in the police office who kind of is flirting with Dexter. It, there's a lot going on, a lot. So there's a lot of characters to keep track of here. But there's a lot of storylines. Basically, you're following a love storyline. You're following a murder storyline. You're following an investigation storyline. And then you're also following very small, but it's there, like the story, the murder of the week that's happening that he's also investigating because he's also investigating a blood splatter crime scene. Like when I think about the script writing of this, I'm like, holy shit, how did they get that all in there? Because like you find out who murdered this uh, person in an apartment. You're finding out who's murdering hookers. You're finding out that he's murdered somebody. Then you're finding out that someone is following him for murdering people. (laughs) There's a lot going on. So did you like it? I did. I I wanted to watch more. I think I'm surprised at it. I thought the show was going to be a little bit more serious, um, you know, uh, or grounded. Um, and I think the show, like I said, it's campy. It's fun. I mean, I, I, I'm interested. I, I like if you put this on for me, I'm watching episode two without a doubt. So you brought up early on uh, the voiceover narration. Dexter talks a lot because he keeps most of his life a secret from everybody else. So the only people he can share it with is us. How did you feel about the use of so much voice? Didn't over mind it. Didn't mind it because I understand that it's necessary. Like you can't have him, you know, you can't Tony Soprano him and have him talking to a therapist. You have to have an outlet for what he's thinking because this character is so hidden. Um, 
we don't know anything about him. So the only way into this character is through that voiceover. It's the only person he's honest with. So for me, I'm in. I mean, it's hilarious where his mind goes a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm also kind of interested, by the way, about his air conditioner. Does it ever break? Uh, how does the air conditioner work effectively with all those blood vials in there? But, uh, you know, let's get into it. L- let's just say that the great playwright Chekhov said, if you put blood slides in an air conditioner in the first act, eventually someone's going to have to go into the air conditioning unit later in the show. Well, here's what I'll say about this show. It feels like a show with a high body count. Like, as I know we're going to be watching the finale, there's a part of me that just goes like, the show is going to be radically different. Like, if he's in, like, Newark, like, in the last season, like, makes sense, got it. <laughs> Dexter, he's a serial killer. He only kills other serial killers. Oh, uh, okay. Did you find yourself rooting for him as a result? Or were you kind of horrified by the actions, even though his victims are themselves monstrous? You know what? By the way, Alan, I don't think I ever really put that together, that he's killing actually, like, he's a serial killers killing serial killers so therefore just the fact that his victims are bad does that allow you to root for him or were you still horrified by his actions absolutely you can root for this character i'm not horrified by him at all like you kill a pedophile and a rapist like i'm on your side buddy like in the world of conflicted characters i feel like oh that's good use you put you you know yeah you got a problem but you figured it out like what what harm are you doing you're not doing anybody any harm you've got your issues but you know you figured it out i'm all team dex so there's a lot of graphic things in here we hear him recount the nature of his victim's crimes we see him start to drill into that guy's head we see one of those just, you know, chopped up corpses without blood in the swimming pool. Like, too graphic, not graphic enough. Would you have liked it to be even more grisly? No, I I don't want anything to be more grisly. I don't like the saw nature of things. I understand what's happening. The thing that gave me the, you saw it in the first moment, in that first killing that got me, was like the drilling through the cheek. I said, that's all I need to see. It gives me the chills. It just gives me the, the damn chills. Now, do you think that Dexter is a reliable narrator of his own story? Can you trust what he tells you? I believe you can. I feel like because he's letting us so into his personality. Yes, I believe him. I, I believe that you have to trust him because he's so hard to understand that if you don't have one baseline, it would be a real F you to the audience. Be like, oh, no. And actually, that was all a lie. Like, Well, then why am I here? Why are you tricking me? I'm the one here enjoying the show. Dexter is the title character. He's the narrator. He's in virtually every scene of the show, at least in this pilot. But he's also got relationships with his sister, uh, with Rita, with, you know, with his father in flashbacks, with the different cops from Miami Metro. Which of the supporting characters or Dexter's relationships with them were you most interested in? I got to say... This show really does an amazing job making you invested. I'm very invested in his relationship with the sister. I am very invested in the relationship with this cop who doesn't like him. I thought that that performance was bonkers, like to the next (laughs) level. But I also was like, I'm but this seems like it's a threat. I like that. And I do like this relationship with Rita. I think, you know, it's a damaged woman that he is now partnered up with to cover his track but i don't know maybe she brings something out in him but you can't bring out something in a sociopath i don't know i'm all in i think i'm most confounded by the sister relationship because that one feels like it feels like the real meat of the show is there for me uh because that's the one that he actually knows the longest yes so you're seeing this now in 2020 the show when it debuted in the mid 2000s was relatively early on the anti-hero train you know there had been the sopranos there'd been the shield a couple of others Now there's like a million anti-hero shows like this. And having seen Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and all the other ones that followed, 
going back and looking at it through like a modern lens, how did some of that material play to you? The idea that like you're watching a show where the main character is himself bad. I actually like it because I feel like they didn't try to have it both ways, right? I love Breaking Bad. It's one of my favorite shows. But that character is an incredibly sympathetic character who gets caught up in more and more bad things. I think Tony Soprano is a character that I think they lean a lot on to show how good of a guy he is. Here, I don't think they show any of the good of him. I I think the good of him is like, oh, he's ridding the world of violent murderers. I think they do a very good job, especially with the voiceover, to kind of keep you very distant from him. I, I think this is probably one of the darker antiheroes. At this stage, he is definitely one of the darker antiheroes. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Michael C. Hall? I love Michael C. Hall. I kind of like seeing him in this after Six Feet Under because I feel like he's having a little bit more fun. You know, it, it's definitely a performance. You know, I keep on saying this word campy. Um, it's not a bad thing. I think it just feels like this is a heightened world. And maybe that's the way that Showtime at that time is allowing to get away with some of this stuff to make the antihero stuff work. Because if you ground it too much, is it too depressing? Being in Miami, the characters being large kind of help dilute the overall thing that you're watching someone murder, you know, two to three people an episode, which is a lot. You said before that you could imagine a scenario where pretty much all the supporting characters are dead by the end of season one, where he's, yes. you come back for the finale, he's operating out of Newark or someplace else. If you had to guess, though, where would you say the story goes from here? Okay, this is really interesting. So we're talking eight seasons, right? Yes. Well, all right. I have a feeling this mystery of the person following him is a one or two season storyline. I think that the cop that he has a relationship with, that's going to end. I think that person's going to end. Um, I think Rita's so going to Wait, the one who doesn't like him or the one who's flirting with him? Oh, the one that doesn't like him. The one who okay. doesn't like him. Uh, I think that Rita's in for the long haul. I think we're going to see Rita. Okay. Rita's going to be there. And I think Rita's going to be the core of the show. Um, okay. There is a part of me that believes that the sister is dying in like season four. Like that's a good mid, mid-series kill. Like it's like, what? We love the sister. Um, I, I think at a certain point he's going to be found out, right? Cause this is a show that I feel like, huh, does he get away? I think that this is a show right now. My gut is he gets away. It's not a Sopranos ending. It's not a breaking bad ending. We're going to go. This is the, the harshest, um, antihero and this antihero is going to escape. That's my thought. He gets away, but you think that he is going to be exposed as a serial killer. It sounds like. I think throughout the series, People are going to figure it out. And you already gave me that great clue that if you set up the blood vials in the air <laughs> conditioner, I, people are going to find out. And I think people find out one by one and and maybe try to reveal them. I, I think there's going to be a lot of cat and mouse. I think by the end, I mean, you're talking eight seasons of this. Yes. I feel like seasons six, seven, and eight are bonkers. Like absolute bananas. And uh, because I feel like you can't sustain this show for eight years But uh, maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Based on your first impression, just of this pilot, which character would you yourself want to play? Oh, that's a great question. I think, I mean, 
I love the Michael C. Hall character. I think that that's a great character. And I will go out and say that I also love the Rita character. Can I cross gender myself? Yes, and say absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I love the Rita character. Those two feel the most fun for me. Okay. And now, is there a character on this show that you could imagine any of your present or former co-stars playing? Okay. Well, first of all, I would cast my my friend uh, Rob Riggle as that, uh, that police officer who is the one who is very anti-Dexter. I feel like a very aggressive. <laughs> I feel like Riggle's got that good aggressive energy. I feel like he could really nail that. Um, Riggle's dokes would be good, yes. Yes. Okay, I have a couple of good thoughts. I'm just trying to figure out who I should move people around to play. Um, all right, let's go to the sister. The sister is a great role. Um, I worked with Karen Gillan on NTSF SDSUV. I like to see Karen Gillan playing that sister role. I think that she would do a great job there. And then... As oh well, as the the head of the Miami Police Department or whatever she is, uh, you know, Lieutenant take, Laguerre, the head of the homicide unit. Yes, head of the homicide unit. Ooh, this is interesting because now I was going to go to Kate Mulgrew, who I work with on NTSF as well. Let me see. Uh, hmm. Okay, I would put Leslie Bibb from the League. I would put her in as uh, the Rita character, and. <laughs> uh, I think that, that yeah, I've, I've kind of spread out. I've spread it out. Am I missing anybody? Anybody uh, good? Uh, anybody else on there? No, I think I, th- I think you've you've pretty well nailed it. Those are some good choices here. So, Paul, are you ready? We've now only seen the first episode of season one. We're now going to watch the last episode of season eight. All right, great. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Are we almost there? It's, uh, gate two hundred nine. Just a couple more. There'll be food on the plane. Come on, you promised to help me count. Is this a new kid or the same kid? I always thought that if I ever left Miami, I'd be running for my life. Well, it's been eight seasons. Okay, new kid. Not running towards a new one. (laughs) All right, so I feel like he's on the run. Well, he said it, so. Where's Hannah? A lot of questions. Hannah? Hey, where are you? Well, I'm at the gate. Where are you? I'm in the ladies' room. Tex Elway is in the boarding area. Hold on. Is he like working with like another serial killer? Is she a serial killer? Is that Yvonne Stravinsky? Strahovski, yes. Stra- okay. right between you and the exit. Dex, I just heard them. The plane is boarding right now. The National Hurricane Center is reporting that Lorac is now just east of Cuba. If it keeps on this current course, it could hit the keys by sundown. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Back again with the sister. How many times have we got to see this? We've had flashbacks. We've had goodbyes. We've had everything. I would change everything. If I... He feels now? This is like a real crying. I don't like this, Alan. I don't like that he got emotions. <laughs> he went from like soci- sociopath to normal person. The fact that he's like not on the run or he's going to be caught is really upsetting. I mean, maybe he will be in the final minutes, but we're really making this about the brother-sister relationship. He's going to literally pull the plug. Yep. There it is. The big button. I love you, Dad. Why are they letting the reveal be this long? We know he's going to be revealed to be here. We have to slow burn it. We get it. There he is. Alive. Inexplicably alive. Not on the run. No reason for him to fake his own death. Uh, I remember the beard. I remember he had a beard. That's the one bit of the spoiler that I remember from the show is that he had a beard. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> now he works construction. Timber. Timber. The lumberjack. And no voiceover. We're here in such a long moment of silence without voiceover. Oh, and we end with him looking at us. Boo. <laughs> boo, boo, boo. <laughs> boo. That was rough stuff, man. What the hell? <laughs> so you were not what pleased? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I mean, it, that show from the pilot made me think, okay, we have a really interesting thing, you know, just like Walter White, not to always compare everything to Breaking Bad, but you have like two criminals. There's going to be some moment of reckoning, some sort of grand conclusion to this character, to what they do, some comeuppance, some payback, anything. Uh, and this show has none of that. It, it, it has none of it. Like it, it feels like that could have been how they ended season one. Like, you know, yeah. like, he fakes his death and then he starts a new life somewhere else. I don't get why they lose the voiceover, so I don't know what he's thinking. This is crazy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here, but first, before we do anything else, for those who did not sit through what felt like a very long hour of television, Paul, what happened? Okay, so we join Dexter eight years later. Uh, he is about to leave Miami, start a new life with this woman who I believe is a serial killer. I don't know, but she is also on the run from a private investigator. That is Hannah. They are being tracked, so they have to leave the airport. They can't get on their flight. A hurricane is coming to Miami. Meanwhile, Deb, who was shot in a previous episode, is alive. We may have thought that she was dead, but she is alive. And Dexter doesn't know that she's even been shot by... Uh, Saxon, uh, who is another, I guess, serial killer that's out there. They, jeez, it's so complete. I mean, <laughs> it, it, nothing really happens. Deb's alive, and then she's not alive. And then they capture Saxon, and then Dexter kills Saxon. And then Hannah is going to escape, but then she's caught. Then she actually escapes. And then Dexter gets everything figured out and then kills himself and then turns up to be a lumberjack. I mean, that's basically the, <laughs> the, the, the main points of it. Don't, don't we all eventually turn out to be a lumberjack in the end? I mean, yeah, it's like even describing it, it was sort of like, like actually not much happens in the show at all. It was a real lackluster finale. I feel so let down by it. Well, I was very curious about this. I was glad when you suggested this as a possible show for you to do because one of your specialties is examining sort of very poorly made entertainment to try to figure out what happened. So I was curious, yes. having skipped everything else, whether you would in fact think this was bad and you did. So I feel relieved that your instincts are still like right on the money even without having sat through everything else. <laughs> well, here's the thing. That pilot could have gone either way, right? Yeah. Like that pilot played enough in both sides of the pond where it was sort of like, it's big, it's campy, the performances are a little out of whack, the camera work is a little bit weird, but you're like, but it works. And it feels to me that it stopped working at a certain point. And then it just became like a weird melodrama. Like, no offense to CW, but it feels like a CW show or an old school CW yeah. show. Well, I know one of the things that you seemed repeatedly troubled by as we were watching this is it seems like in the pilot, Dexter, all of his emotions are fake. 
He is simulating it for everyone. And in the finale, what are his emotions? Yes. To me, yes, they were real because you're watching him alone in moments. He's got anger. He's got sadness. He's got regret. And he cares about people like he cares about Hannah. Like everything that he does in the finale is motivated by emotion. Even when he kills Saxon, it is a revenge killing because he shot his sister. He didn't even kill his sister. He shot his sister. It wasn't, he broke all of his codes. And because he's not doing voiceover, we have no idea what's going on in his head. He has like two lines of voiceover in the entire thing. And and there's so many moments where he's just kind of alone contemplating things. Give me some of that sweet, sweet VO. <laughs> Dexter Lumberjack does not get a voiceover to explain why he is now, you know, chopping down timber. And why did he even have to chop down timber? He was not caught. The police said, get out of here, buddy. Like, Clearly, Saxon was a bad dude. They don't find, I mean, maybe they did. Well, you can tell me now. Did they ever find his blood things in the air conditioner? Dexter himself is not caught by the police at large, but indeed, the blood slides are found. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But how did you feel when he was just like driving the boat into the hurricane? Would that have been more satisfying than if he was a lumberjack? Yeah, absolutely. It's a better ending of the show. So I guess if we're looking at the bookends, I'm really trying to break it down, right? If we're sure. saying the bookends of the show is here's a character that doesn't feel, doesn't care. He is a sociopath. And then at the end, he has cured himself of being a sociopath, but yet he still has these tendencies. I mean, to what degree? I don't know. Uh and then because he cares so much, he kills himself. So basically the killer kills himself. I mean, that's... Yeah. But it, but it, it seems unmotivated because... I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know all the, the ins and outs of Saxon or how he was or was not involved. I, I, I just find it to be... Um, it just seems anticlimactic. I mean, the show is very... It's incredibly sad. anticlimactic. And I say that as someone who knows all about Saxon. And the short version is Saxon is the son of the psychiatrist who first diagnosed young Dexter as a psychopath and helped his father come up with the whole code for him to kill other serial killers. Oh, (laughs) it's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. And in the process of doing this, Dexter realizes that he never actually had to kill people, that he could have been cured. But the psychiatrist played by, I think, Charlotte Rampling was too interested in testing her theories to bother trying to curb the violent impulses. So they do this whole like backstory thing in the end that Dexter never really had to be a killer. So basically they untie the knot. Like they basically say like, here's our main character. It's like saying like, hey, Tony, you never had to be in the mafia. You could have just uh, had a very successful uh, sanitation uh, job or you could have worked at a meat yes. store. That like, So you take away the one thing about the character and then he just ought to. So like, I guess what I'm saying is like, what does he replace the killing with to become? He replaces it with love, Paul, love. Oh, I hate the show. I hate the show. <laughs> Um, how when, how long was the show good for is All my right. next question. Here's what I would say. The show starts to become too protective of him. Like, it star- it. like the, the writers really like him. Um, there's a quote here. Let me see if I can find it here. In my notes, yeah. Um, they said in a special that they recorded right before the finale, one of them said, a large part of the appeal is just the innocence of Dexter as well. He's not evil. There is a real human innocence to him as just a misfit aspect we can identify with as well. No, no, no. (laughs) Like, that's not the show that I want to see. Yeah. Like, I mean, they they really made it like this, this, like, I mean, they made him a good guy. They they, they made him a hero. Yeah, they talk about him having superpowers like he is a hero to them. So it's just, it becomes very formulaic. 
Yeah, but you can you can do that. There is a way to do it, but they just seem like they kind of chickened out on it. So you mentioned Breaking Bad, and this final season would have been bad regardless, but it had the absolutely awful timing to be airing Sunday nights concurrently with the final season of Breaking Bad. Whoa. Oh, yes. my gosh. You think of these shows as contemporaries is because it does feel a little dated. You yes. know, it does feel a little old school. Oh, wow. Oof. So, yeah. So every Vulture recap, every Rolling Stone recap on that Sunday is like, and this. We have to talk about this, too. Yes. Even though everyone is wanting to talk about Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad is doing this whole thing where, like, the entire final season is bit by bit exposing, no, wait, you've been rooting for an awful human being for a long time, and he's a monster. Yes. And there's no question. And Dexter went in the exact opposite direction of that, but also, like, with this incredible low energy that you saw throughout this finale. Yeah, it's so lethargic. You know, when you're watching this finale, really what happens is so little. And it's a lot of just scenes of characters repeating what just happens. Like, I know I'm there. I don't need to see the scene. Like, let's uh, let's like let's do a little, uh, you know, creative. Right. It just feel like they were treading water, really. It like it feel like they kind of ran out of story or they only had enough for a half an hour. Like I, I would have been happy if you did that whole finale in a half hour and then give me a half hour lumberjack. But I mean, what was the reaction <laughs> to lumberjack? I mean, oh, everyone like, hated the lumberjack. They hated it. I mean, so it's much. so it's so tacked on. It's also like you can't just show that to me. And then not tell me anything about it. Like, no, that's not a fun ending. Like, that's not. Is he still doing it? Is he not doing it? Like, like, give me something. He just sits down at an empty table like, OK, I and, guess. And there's no foundation for it. It's not like he's ever discussed lumberjacking. It's just sort of like the geographic opposite. He's in the Pacific Northwest instead of Miami. But uh, yeah, it comes from nowhere. And it's also like. If he wanted to, because the only person he really needed to escape from was Hannah and Harrison. Yes. And they're in Argentina exploring 3,000 miles of coast. There's no reason why he just can't ghost her. She can't come back. Just disappear. Yes, she is a poisoner. One of the things we like to do on the show is I'm now going to ask you a series of multiple choice questions on things that happened in between the pilot and the finale. Let's see how well you can figure this out based on both what you've seen in the finale and your general understanding of how TV works. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first one, the serial murderer from the pilot is, by the way, the stalker. It's the same person, the the one who's leaving the bloodless uh, bodies, becomes known as the ice truck killer. And the ice truck killer winds up being someone that Dexter knew. Who was it? A, Deb, B, Sergeant Dokes, or C, his long lost brother, Brian. Okay, uh, there's a couple things here because in my mind, I feel like the interesting choice in a way is to bring in uh, Dokes, like the person who suspects him the most as also being a killer. But then I'm like, this show is soapy as hell. So it probably is his long lost brother. So I'm going to say his long lost brother who also got advice from his dad to kill people. Um, But kind of went against it. All right, let's find out if you're right. I have a brother. A real brother. <laughs> you got it. Yes. His brother. Got it. Got and it. And yet, they, right. they, they were both found in the blood of their murdered mother, and Dexter got adopted by Harry the cop, and poor Brian was raised elsewhere, and eventually the bad things happened. Okay, got All it. All right, number two. Which character became the first to discover that Dexter was a serial killer? Was it A, Deb, B, Dokes, or C, Lieutenant LaGuerta? Hmm. I'm going to say 
La Guerta because um, she is suspicious of him finding that ice truck. And I feel like Dokes just thinks he's creepy. I don't think that Dokes thinks that he's a killer. I think La Guerta is actually very smart. And La Guerta starts to kind of see things together. Again, though, if I go back to like the soap opera aspect of it, I would say, well, Deb, because Deb is family and the show seems to be going on family. I'm going to go against my family instinct on this one, say it's La Guerta and he's got a killer. And that's why La Guerta is not there anymore um, because she actually likes him. So she's kind of like watching him a little bit more than she would normally and that's how she puts it together so that's what i'm gonna say let's see it clip number two let me see jesus christ morgan jesus fucking christ you're the bay harbor butcher ah, i really <laughs> hate that name ah damn it was dokes dokes the person i didn't even consider dokes also found the blood slides that's how he, he got wise to him he never liked dexter and went looking through his apartment and found it in the air conditioning unit you see like there's something about that where i don't like it because i'm like Make the person's not like, like, oh yeah, the person who suspected him found out. Like, you know, like, all right, all right, there you go, Dokes. Okay. I would have liked Dokes to have been in the dark the entire time. Just had a sense. Okay, what else? What else you got for me? Okay, all right. The show often brought in very special guest stars to either play rival serial killers or people mm-hmm. learning how to kill from Dexter. One of these killed Rita. Which guest star did it? A, John Lithgow, B, Jimmy Smits, or C, Julia Stiles? Ooh, that's really interesting. Well, Jimmy Smith and John Lithgow are pretty great. Julia Stiles feels like that's too, like, on the nose. I'm going to say John Lithgow. You are correct. It was John Lithgow. We don't have a clip of him killing her because he does it off camera and Dexter finds her later. However, I still want to give you a taste of Lithgow because he's the best guest star on the show. And that's the best season of the show when he's on in season four. Let's see uh, clip number three. Thank you all for the comfort of your home where no one said they were thankful for me. Did you say you were thankful for me, Jonah? I am so thankful for you, Arthur. Shut up, cunt. Whoa, Arthur. Kyle, perhaps it's time for you to go. I think I should stay. I love John Lithgow, and that's an amazing scene. Great. Love it. Which of the following is true? A, the actors who played Dexter and Deb became a couple in real life, but the characters didn't. B, Dexter and Deb became a couple on the show, but the actors didn't. C, both became couples, or D, neither became couples. A, because they could not. They're brother and sister. All right. So indeed, uh, Michael C. Hall and Jennifer Carpenter were briefly married during the run of the show. But as to whether or not they became a couple, let's watch clip number four. What do you mean you're in love with me? What? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) What? I know it's weird and it's gross and it's fucked up, but... I mean, it's one thing to be in love with your brother, but it's a whole other level to be in love with your brother who's a goddamn fucking serial killer. Oh, boy, Alan, this show. <laughs> what season did that happen in? Uh, that's season six or maybe season seven. I've, I've kind of lost the thread that there. Feels, but... that, that feels about right. That's, uh, yeah, yes. that, that feels about right. Whoa. She, literally, she is on her way to tell Dexter she is in love with him, having to, you know, come to that realization in therapy when she catches him as a serial killer and that's how she finds out and so they never do actually become a couple but she was nonetheless briefly in love with him yikes oh boy oh boy let's give paul a break so you can answer a question since we recorded this episode showtime has announced plans to bring dexter morgan back for a sequel miniseries where i'm guessing deb will replace harry as the voice in dexter's head 
As it happens, this whole trend of reviving cancelled TV shows really exploded right around the time Dexter was finishing its original run. Which of these shows got brought back by Netflix in 2013? Was it A. Arrested Development, B. Gilmore Girls, C. The Killing, or D. Longmire? Think you know the answer? Let's see if you're right with help from my Google Assistant. Hey Google, what was the first cancelled TV show saved by Netflix? Netflix revived Arrested Development in 2013, about eight years after the show had ended on Fox with 15 new episodes. There you have it, Arrested Development. That one unfortunately didn't work out too well, and I'm not that optimistic about this Dexter revival. Thanks, Google. And now, back to our show. We haven't even gotten to my favorite thing that Dexter ever did. Here we go. In Season 6, Colin Hanks is a new serial killer. Edward James almost is his mentor. Colin lives next door to me, or used to live next door to me. We never talked about Dexter. I don't even know how I missed this. Okay, go ahead. The Edward James Almost character has a crazy secret that fans figured out way before the show revealed it. What was that secret? Was it A, Edward James Almost is playing Dexter's birth father, B, Edward James Almost is a time traveler from the future, or C, Edward James Almost was long dead and a figment of Colin Hanks' imagination? You gotta go with C. All right, let's see clip five. You killed me, Travis. Then you stuck me in the freezer. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Knew it, knew it, knew it, knew it, knew it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got that one. I knew that. (laughs) The very first or maybe the second episode that almost is in, someone I think on the AV club, my friend Emily Vanderwerf, was like, I think Edward James almost is dead. And, like, everyone, as soon as they saw it, they're like, oh, God, of course he's dead. He's just like Dexter's dad. And, like, the show thought that no one was going to get it until the finale. And it's the big surprise of the finale, like, Uh, ten weeks later. Oof, the worst. That's tough. Tough stuff. Okay, so, Paul, was this a good way to experience the series, just watching the first episode and the last one? 100%. I saved myself so much grief. (laughs) Um, Like, sure. All right, so what you're saying to me is this. Season one, two, and four are yes. good. Yes. Eight seasons. So we're saying three seasons and not even three consecutive seasons of the show is good. Yeah. Alan, you have saved my time. You've saved my patience and my energy. Now I can feel like I know enough about Dexter to understand it. I feel like as I went through that quiz, every time I picked the non-soap opera version of it, I was wrong. The show made <laughs> some crazy, crazy choices. Uh, but no, yes, I have no desire to go back. If you showed me a John Lithgow episode, I would maybe watch that. But wow, wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> this was a um, this is a, a great, a great one that I didn't have time for. Well, I'm so glad that I could help you feel less guilt about it. Oh, yeah, I feel great about it. I will never, never feel badly again about this show. All right, Paul Shear, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, and thank you for, you know, making my life uh, a little bit more full by uh, giving me just two hours of, uh, of high and then a very big low. That's what we try to do here. This podcast is a public service. Thank you for tuning in to Rolling Stone and OBB Sounds Too Long Didn't Watch, presented by Google Assistant. I'm Alan Seppenwall, and I'm a lumberjack, and I'm okay. And that's a wrap on season one of Too Long Didn't Watch. We'll be back in a few weeks with new shows, new guests, new stupid trivia questions, and all the other foolishness we hope you've come to love over these first ten episodes. 
Until then, we'll ask you once again to do the same things that all podcasts ask you to do. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, and please spread the word to anyone else you know who might enjoy it too. This has been OBB Sound and Rolling Stones Too Long Didn't Watch, brought to you by Google Assistant and hosted by me, Alan Seppenwall. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, and Alyssa Walker of OBB Sound, a division of OBB Media, and Gus Winner of Rolling Stone. Co-executive produced by Arlen Konopaki and Grace Delia of OBB Sound, and Bridget Chelsea and Maria Fontour of Rolling Stone. The production was engineered by Evan Menick and Daniel Wanacott, edited, mixed, and mastered by Michael Capuano, sound designed by Michael Capuano, original music by Daniel Wanacott, Production assistants were Jennifer Spots and Raquel Dominguez. 